Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. OTAs, minicamp, all of it in the books, in the rearview mirror. The next big event on the calendar is moving day at St. Vincent. That's going to be around... July 27th, around there. I think the so, first day of practice, of training camp is the 26th, so maybe the day 25th, before. 25th, usually the day 24th, or two before yeah. that they end up moving in. So It's, it's about like moving, um, It's not like you're moving into college where you need like an entire well, week to move in. You are literally you are, moving you into are college. You are moving into a college dorm at St. Vincent, but it's it's a little different. God bless all those players. Talking to Akella Weatherspoon at OTAs, it was funny saying, are you excited to do that? I, he said, yeah, I am, but I could tell he is not you, looking you forward to that, that one. And then he tried to like double down and be like, no, 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 no I no, promise no, no, I'm good. I was like, you're lying to my face. But, hey, it's good for camaraderie, and it's tradition. It's one of the best traditions in sure. really all of the NFL. You know, a story the Steelers going to St. Vincent College. But, yeah, about a month and a half away, that's the next big thing on the schedule. So, Enjoy your little break here, uh, Steelers and Steelers Nation, because when we all reconvene at St. Vincent's, it is just a snowball down a hill until hopefully the middle of January, late February, uh, if you want to get really optimistic. But in all seriousness, it comes hot and heavy soon. So this is kind of entering a little bit of a dead period, but there's no shortage of things to talk about, especially with minicamp just coming to a conclusion this week. And the one thing I wanted to tap into first was... Yeah, hit me. Najee Harris talked to the media on, I believe it was Tuesday, the first day of minicamp, mm-hmm. and a little snippy, you know, a little uh, acidy, spitting back <laughs> at them with the, you know, oh, everybody's talking about my weight, I've gained so much weight, uh, and I didn't really understand where he was coming from, to be honest with you. I, don't get me wrong, I'm not using this as like a, I can't believe Najee was like that. I enjoyed it. I enjoy that kind of you know flavor with my athletes. I enjoy that kind of personality. I, I don't want just the typical, oh, yeah, we are uh, coming out here to minicamp to make sure that all of our uh, this, I's are dotted and our T's are crossed. Right. It's just the same generic, not uh, giving you any substance speak, whatsoever. Like, yeah, you know, right. It's just great to be out here with all the guys working hard. No, I like a little bit of flavor. And Najee has given it to us throughout his career as a Steeler, even back in his rookie minicamp debut. Last year, he, you know, had some quotable things. You know, he's he got, charismatic. He yeah. got on Dale Lolly about saying, you know, hey, I, I could catch the ball at Alabama. Like, I, I, I make those one-handed catches yeah, a exactly. lot more often than you think. So I, I like that with him, and I, I, I hope it continues to be like that. And, and it wasn't all good fun. He was smiling and laughing, and the reporters were laughing too. And, and then some reporters might take it a little harder than others, but whatever. I say, get you know, get your wedgie out of your pants mm-hmm. and, and just relax a little bit, have a little fun, but. Let the kids play as the saying goes. The only thing I will say about it is, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. No one has said anything in the negative light towards his weight no. It's always been, this guy looks like Adonis. This guy looks mm-hmm. like some god uh, ascend- sculpted. descended from yeah. Mount Olympus and sculpted him in the middle of the night. His thighs look like Saquon Barkley now. Maybe mm-hmm. better than Saquon Barkley now since Barkley's Honestly, uh, injured Honestly, very possible. Yeah, so I don't really get where he was coming from with that. Because and I know Mark Kabali tweeted out, "Oh, he's the same playing weight as Jerome Bettis," but we know Kaboom. He was saying that to point out, like, look at how different these mm-hmm. styles of, or look at how different this two hundred and forty-two pounds can is. look. Like one looks yeah. like this, one looks like that, and hey, 
we all know muscle weighs more than fat too. So one looks like a bowling ball in Jerome, but one looks like, as you said, pure muscle. It's insane. So that's the one thing I was kind of like, what? Like, what are you? Like, like, we're not calling you fat. We're not saying you look that's like how, Jerome, big belly gut. That like, is we just how think he you gained a lot of weight. I, I believe the exact quote was. Everyone's calling me like fat as hell or something like that. He did say that. Fat as no hell. No one has said that. Everyone's acting as if I'm I got fat as hell. No one's saying that. But you know, when you say it like that, I tend to believe that he's saying it maybe with a chip on his shoulder, but also he's now in his second year at the team. I think he's getting a little more comfortable with the Pittsburgh media. He of knows he as is. you said, he knows Kabali at this point. He knows Perzuta. He knows Jerry Dulac. He knows Tim Benz. He's allowed to have a little fun with these guys. It's not he's the new kid on campus anymore where he has to kind of pay his dues and, and be polite. He's been around and guess what? He kicked ass in his in his freshman year in his rookie year in the NFL. Yeah, I think he really he's did. got he deserves a little bit of leeway when it comes to the way he's it's not when when he's talking to the media. It's not like he's talking to them with the A B or the Lev Bell kind of attitude where I'm mightier than all, holier than thou kind of thing. I think he's having a little fun with it. Now, and let's let's not forget, Tom, this was Najee Harris who started this whole weight gate kind of thing. He did go up to Kaboom. He did go up to Wes and Mose and say, hey, what do you guys think my weight is right now? He's the one who started this whole thing. That's a great point. And again, it's not about weight gain in the terms of fat. It's weight gain mm-hmm. in terms of, dude, your legs look like tree trunks now. Like, like I'm afraid like, just dude, to like you, run into your legs. Dude, you were big your rookie year, but like it's noticeably different. Like what were you doing? How was leg day times two whenever the offseason? Like what were you doing in the offseason? It's all in shock and awe, except for maybe one person. And our good buddy Tim Benz, as he always does, <laughs> dug through the mire and found an old, old tweet from a national guy. Named Warren Sharp. And Warren Sharp football. You're from, you've heard the name, I'm sure, out there. He, if you're familiar with the sport of football, you know. Yeah, he's Warren good. Sharp at, he's good. You know, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not trying to disparage him. Warren Sharp, he, maybe the biggest uh, critic of the Steelers' offensive line last year, and, and the Najee Harris turned out to be right about the offensive line, right. not Wrong so right about, about the Najee, Najee Harris. Harris but his criticism for Najee Harris did not stop with them picking him last year's rookie year. He said he wasn't sure that gaining weight, putting on a lot more weight was going to be necessarily beneficial for him because, as he put it, he struggled to hit the hole more than any other running back that got consistent carries Mm -hmm. in the league last year. Uh, He was not able to find his hole, and he was saying, well, is it the best idea to maybe bulk up more and maybe sacrifice a little bit of speed and agility when you can't really find your way through the hole? And I would counter that, Mr. Sharp, by saying... Take a look back at your take about how bad the offensive line was, and there's your answer as to why Najee Harris couldn't hit holes. There were no holes to right. be hit, sir. It's not just because yes. the holes that are there, he's now too big to fit through those holes. <laughs> Again, it's such a funny visual to think of him like <laughs> Augustus glooping out onto the field and like rumbling through holes like fatter than Jerome Bettis. No, but that he's using that. He's using both points to mm-hmm. work against Najee. Like you can't say the offensive line all year like you had last year was the worst in football, which it very well might have been, and then on the same point say, ah, this running back's not hitting any of the holes that are there. If there's holes there, how is it the worst offensive line in football? That doesn't and, really matter. And think up. about it, too. You you criticize this offensive line. You criticize the Najee Harris pick. Did the guy, did he or did he not finish as the number 5 uh, rusher in the NFL last year? While grinding away at a 3.9 yard right, per carry exactly. clip. Like that. I don't. I would like to know. I mean, Warren Sharp, you're the analytics guy. Tell me the last time someone ran for that many yards and had that 
few of a yards per carry average. I would bet it's very, very hard to do. It takes a lot of yards after contact to be able to do that. And we know Najee got hit in the backfield more than anybody last year Mm -hmm. and was able to turn what would have been no gains, negative one, negative two-yard losses to two, three-yard gains just because he's able to bounce off of first, second would-be tacklers and gain an extra two or three yards, get back to the line of scrimmage so you're not working from a negative on the next down. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you know, Things deeper than just pulling out the stat. Oh, he was the worst at hitting his holes. I believe that stat's true. I bet I don't think Warren Sharp makes things up. And no, I believe that he no, he's an analyst. He can guy. back that up right. and say, yeah, Najee did not hit the holes as consistently. But I would argue that the holes weren't as big as other holes around the league were, right. were and weren't there as consistently as other. Like the Browns had holes all the time open. You know, like teams with really good lines, really good running games. Uh, the Titans. They complement each other. It was absolutely. So I think that it's a little unfair to just say that part of the story and use it to say, oh, I don't know if weight gain is that big of a deal. But I think that's the tweet Najee might have found. I think that's the Maybe. tweet he might have been looking at and been like, man, what are they talking about? Like, I am not a fat ass. <laughs> I am not Eric Cartman right now. I think that in time, young players have to learn that the guys they need to listen to or the guys they really need to pay attention to are the people that are within their market, their team's market. Because Warren Sharp's job is the other guys just making making waves, right? right? They just want Warren their Sharp's tweet to go viral. Warren Sharp's job is not just to report on the Steelers and Najee Harris. That's the job of Tim and Jerry and Dale and Williamson and all those guys. So if they're not if those guys in Pittsburgh aren't saying, oh well I think Najee just got fat and he's not gonna be able to hit the holes, then if I were Najee I'd be I'd be saying to myself, why are they so critical of me? But Warren Sharp is Warren Sharp, you know. And again, I don't didn't, think didn't Warren necessarily Sharp, say fat either. No. Warren Sharp said bulking up. I don't which think is true. Warren Sharp is someone who makes makes statements based off of clickbait hits. There are other guys who we know of very well in the national media who will do that. But Warren Sharp, I do believe to be a very analytical based commentator. Yes. So just because he's saying this, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the it's the harshest criticism that Najee Harris could receive, but I can see why he would interpret it in that way. Yeah, I could see that too, and I could see, you know, it's not I, people this it's very it is a sensitive topic. I mean, I I feel like there's people out there who are saying, oh, man, like, why does he care what people think about his weight? Like, he's such a great athlete and in phenomenal shape. It, it's sensitive. It, you can't just pick and choose who's going to feel sensitive to someone saying, hey, you're gaining a lot of weight. Like, you don't know who has that mindset. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't take my shirt off whenever. You can call me fat, <laughs> and it's literally not going to bother me 10 seconds later. But you don't know how other people are wired. And, and someone like him who has been all of his life sculpting his body to be at peak physical condition to hear the language, oh, you're gaining weight, I, I'm not going to blame him for maybe putting a little negative connotation to it, even though there was no negative connotation, and by the gaining weight that people were referring to was about muscle and not about fat, which is a complete difference. Mm-hmm. And to bring it back to you know the realm of football and to bring it back into you know a little less ridiculous waters within this weight talk, I love the muscle that he's put on because... If there isn't going to be improvement in the offensive line, he's going to have to break tackles behind the line of scrimmage again. He's going to have to break tackles to get four or five yard gains again this year. He's going to have to do a lot of the work himself. So if you have to take on an even heavier workload or as heavy of a workload as you did last year to gain your yards, you might as well put on 20 to 30 extra pounds of muscle, especially in your legs, to help with that. And then B, 
if the line does improve and there are more holes and there is more running room, there is not a safety or even linebacker who can, who take can really take down. him down one-on-one. I mean, on one. We saw even defensive linemen struggle. struggle. To take him. We, they go there for was, a ride. There was a point at which the season... I would say by week 10 or so, the NFL figured out you can't take Najee Harris down with just one guy, right? If you send one guy, even if it is like a Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett is going to struggle. I believe, I mean, we saw that in that game later on against the Browns, of which the Brown, like Miles Garrett himself did struggle to bring down Najee Harris. They needed extra defenders on him. So absolutely. And let's be honest, Tom, too. Three weeks ago, or I guess at this point, two weeks ago, at the start of OTAs, when the Najee Harris um, realization that he put on this muscle kind of came into play because everyone was seeing him for the first time in a while, was there a single person who wasn't going, uh-oh, I'm a little nervous about the, the way the Najee Harris looks? No. Every single person who was at OTAs day one said, oh my God, Najee Harris is scary big, is scary muscular. Yes. I don't want to be the guy who's assigned to take him down to to, to guard him or, or to tackle him or or be his defensive assignment. Everybody at Steelers OTAs was saying, good luck to the rest of the to the rest of the to the rest, excuse me, to the rest of the NFL <laughs> trying to bring this guy down because it's not going to be easy. There wasn't a single person in the Pittsburgh media who was at day one of OTAs saying oh, I don't know if this is such a good look for Najee. Not at all. Right, exactly. And I think that's just the overlying point about it. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do this year. Outside of the obvious question mark at quarterback um, and other question marks around the roster, I'd say Najee's development and sophomore season is probably the thing I'm number two most interested in behind the quarterback battle this year. And if it was a nor- I just because Here's there's the thing, so much Tom, other, like wide receiver, you need to figure out who's the number one. That's important. Well, maybe, Your secondary, that's important. Backup depth at a lot of position, defensive line, that's important. But just again, I've said this so many times on our podcast. With the eye, two to three years down the road, the eye on the future, I want to see this kid hit another gear this year. I want to see him keep growing because maybe you don't need him to be a freak superstar this year because you're not going to go anywhere because of the other holes you have. But I don't know. I just think that it's so important for obviously number one them to figure out the quarterback and then number two to have this weapon develop into a henry-esque weapon where it's like this dude wins you 10 games on his own i would make my only counter argument to that being it's a guarantee in my mind that that he's gonna be better right so that's why my attention is going to be turned toward the quarterback battle or whichever wide receiver can emerge as the number one or can Devin Bush and Terrell Emmons step up and really secure their spots on this defense in a prove-it kind of year? Are the acquisitions of Miles Jack and Levi Wallace really going to help the defense in those areas? Are the additions of Mason Cole and James Daniels and the movement of Kendra Green off the center position really going to help the offensive line that much? Right, Those are the questions that I'm interested in to hear or, or to see be answered because there is a lot of ambiguity. I have no idea who's going to be the starting quarterback when it comes to training camp or if it changes throughout that time by by the week one of the regular season. I don't know if Devin Bush and Terrell Emmons can re-lock their positions into solid figures in this defense. I know for a fact Najee Harris is going to be a beast this year. It's just, I guess, the only question or the only level of ambiguity comes from how much better is he going to be 
So that's why it's, it's just an assurance. You know what I mean? I, I, it's an added bonus, if you will, to the season. Well, speaking of the quarterback battle, we know the depth chart is reading Mitch Trubisky, Mason Rudolph, Kenny Pickett, and Matt Canada actually spoke a bit about that and, you know, was basically saying, you know, the the order of which we're distributing the snaps is pretty much expected in a lot of the coaches' mind right now. It's basically going according to plan. I think Mitch Trubisky's going to get the starting job. I think he's going to start week one. I think it seems like it their mind is like made it, up, yeah. and it was almost just like we need to just make sure that he's capable still. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure that he's still able to do it, and they're getting that sense in the past three weeks. He's been getting first-team snaps in all of OTAs, got the first-team reps in all of minicamp. Uh, he's he's looking the part that they thought he would look, and that's really, I think, the only thing that they might have been you know, questioning is, uh, well, maybe he doesn't look super great or maybe Kenny comes out and really shines. And I don't think either of that has happened. I think Mitch Trubisky's looked exactly as they expected him to look and really the same for Kenny, not, you know, overwhelming. Oh my God, this kid's the next Patrick Mahomes, but you know, checking all the boxes off. So I think Trubisky's going to end up week one in Cincinnati, running out that tunnel, leading your Pittsburgh Steelers onto the field. How long that lasts into the season obviously depends on how well he plays, the team's overall performance, and Kenny Pickett's development. But I I really get the sense the more and more we work through these uh, practices in these camps that he's going to end up grabbing that number one spot, already has that number one spot, not going to yield it. And the only real shuffling that we're going to see as we work through training camp is Kenny overtaking Mason to be that number two guy, to be that guy that steps in once Mitch either yields the job via injury or poor performance. Yeah, I I don't know what really changed, but over the course of time, I think the knee-jerk reaction when Mitch was acquired, it was, okay, it's Mitch's job, obviously, over Yeah, Mason. he's better than Mason. And then when Kenny was drafted, the knee-jerk reaction was, oh my gosh, you're going to go out there with a rookie quarterback the first time you're available to do so since Ben Roethlisberger has retired. Right. And then as time kind of went by and people were able to kind of calm themselves in the Kenny Pickett hype train, not to say that it wasn't deserving, right? The guy is a first-round pick. By a team who does not take quarterbacks in the first round, only because they have never really had the need to do so, because they have two of the best franchise quarterbacks. Arguably, you can make the case that the Pittsburgh Steelers are in the top three, possibly, in terms of multiple franchise quarterbacks being that successful. So there was really no grand need to do so. Obviously, Terry was taken first overall. Ben was taken, what, 11th overall? There was just no, I mean, this is a team that is so stable that they really don't even need, even when they don't have those two guys, to go off or to go out and use one of their first round picks. But Pickett seemed to be the right fit. So I understand why people got excited. But as things kind of started to unfold with rookie camp and now OTAs, it does seem to be that the Steelers are indicating that Mitch is going to be the number one guy. And I wonder if, just based on the track record of Mike Tomlin being one of the best coaches in the league right now, never had a losing season, you all know, um, I wonder if his coaching combined with a pretty decent roster, especially on the defensive side of the football, is that going to create a scenario where Mitch never yields the job to Kenny in the rookie season? Mm. I mean, maybe they lose a couple games uh, via Mitch Mitch turnovers and then it makes it easier. The knee-jerk reactions by Steelers fans. Well, saying, that's going to happen no matter what. Right, right, right. First interception that Mitch throws week one, week you gotta two. You got to get Kenny in you there. You got to get Kenny in there. No matter what. He could throw for uh, 200 yards, 
uh, have a touchdown throwing and a touchdown on the ground and an interception, but that interception is the one thing that they'll be pounding the table for Kenny mm-hmm. Pickett for. But I, I, I think, you know, oh, that's a perfect Mitch Trubisky game there. Uh, 200 yards, a touchdown on the ground, a touchdown running, or a touchdown through the air, a touchdown on the ground. Maybe one Maybe turnover. a pick, maybe a yeah. fumble. He's going to turn the ball over. But if you can win around that, and you can kind of, you know, keep yourself in that wild card race floating around that 500 mark, I don't know that this trigger might necessarily be pulled to take Mitch out and put Kenny in. So I think in an ideal world, you know, Mitch starts the season and Kenny comes along slowly. You get a little bit of a break in your schedule as far as you get a couple home games in a row and a bye week against some lesser opponents. I know the Bengals are in there as well, but hey, you got to start playing the tougher teams at some point in your Mm -hmm. career. Maybe that's the way you do it, and maybe that's the smart way to do it, but you're also risking if you go with that strategy that Mitch just isn't going to yield because Mitch is keeping you in the race, and can you really give the keys to a rookie when you're doing just fine with the guy who's been in the league for five, six years now? I can't argue against it, Tom. So there's a risk there with this whole bringing Kenny along slowly, and the risk is you might miss out on an entire year of his development because Mitch is just too good. And then you have you have the same question next year because Mitch is signed for another year. Right. If Mitch does well, say Mitch gets you 10 wins and possibly a wild card spot. That is a wild card, I think. 10 and 7. So It's tough in the AFC because I, I think the AFC is really I still think that's going to do it because other teams will beat up on each now, other, too. I don't, know if this, I don't know if the Steelers can get to 10 wins. I, I know don't think in so our, either. In our first rundown of the Steelers' schedule. I think I had them at ten. Twelve and four. I think you had no. them at no. Well, first of okay. all, there are seven. Oh, Twelve and games. five. Sorry, I don't know exactly. I think where I had I them had at them. seven and ten. And I think I, think I had, had them at ten and seven. Okay, I was gonna say either nine and eight or ten and seven on your end. So maybe a game or here, here or there is a stretch. But say there is, you know, best case scenario, they get to ten wins, and he gets you to the playoffs. What do you do next year? I mean, do you just say, well, we wanted to, we saying, wanted to like, develop Kenny for one year, and then we, but if this guy's going to take us to the playoffs, it's very possible, too, Tom, that you could see. I just don't know. We could have a very light version of the Garoppolo Lance thing happening yeah. in here. It could happen here. I think it's light a, version, though. Because in San Francisco, they are making it. Evidently clear they want to be done with Jimmy G and move on to Trey Lance as soon as they possibly can. But then also not like saying things like he might start this year. But then also he left. He was sent home from minicamp because of an injury that he was rehabilitating. So it's been Trey Lance's show. Uh, with them though, I mean Jimmy G's better than Mitch, and I think the ceiling on Lance is better than the ceiling on Kenny. So it's um, you know you really believe Jimmy G's better than Mitch? I think so. I don't. I I understand. You know he got to a Super Bowl a handful of years ago. The guy's he got been to the in, NFC Championship game. He's been a feature player in the NFC Championship game the past couple years. Right. My only gripe is that I don't know if, if Mitch really got the fair chance he deserved. Well, I think this. To, he might. This was supposed to be. He might not. Right. Well, uh, here, but I will say it seems like it is being fair because we do think he's going to start. Well, so. here's that's the difference, though, or or I guess not the difference. My my not theory, but playing in Pittsburgh, I don't see him. Even if he makes the playoffs both years, do you really want to re-sign the guy and just waste Kenny Pickett even further? No, you really don't. So then, I think no matter how successful he pick. is, right? You got to say, okay, it was a good two years. We got to move on now. Well, one other guy. At- so that's so that's why Mitch. I think it's going to take for him to get to his fourth NFL team in order <laughs> in order for us to really say how good can Mitch Trubisky be when it's his team. 
wow. And you usually don't get a fourth go at it no. with a fourth team to finally, you know, take but the I, helm I and find beat your it, team. I find it very possible, Tom, if the team around him, as we've said before, is good enough to support either Kenny Pickett or Mitch Trubisky. I, I believe both of these guys are capable of leading this team to a winning record, if not a possible wild card appearance. And I, I think that should allow Mitch Trubisky to get the right opportunity on his fourth team. It's just very unfortunate that this is not going to be his future in Pittsburgh. Well, one guy that these two will be throwing to, whoever ends up taking the job, is George Pickens. And we had Jerry Dulac on the Mark Madden show earlier this week, and I've heard other people say this as well. Uh, people in the know, people that they've talked to in the facility, say George Pickens is really turning heads, and it's early. And you know, this is kind of the gym class hero version of of workouts because no one's putting the pads on, no one's really hitting, but everybody seems to think that they might have something here with this Pickens kid and that he might become the real deal. I'm not saying he's going to be Jamar Chase right out of the gate and be your number one wide receiver no matter what, but like two, three years down the line, which again, I keep telling you guys, this is kind of what we're building towards is two to three years from now, he could develop into that top-tier receiver in the NFL, maybe creep in towards top 10 conversations in the league. It's obviously a long way to go until we get there, but... It's really, really reassuring to hear that happening at this early stage. It's a lot better to hear that now instead of hearing, yeah, he looks good, or yeah, he looks like he's fine. Mm-hmm. The fact that there's a lot of optimism around him and a lot of you know, people buying into this potential already based on just three weeks of seeing him in shorts, it's very, very encouraging and honestly fits in with the track record of Steelers and drafting wide receivers. They, they always seem to hit it relatively good. I mean... The busts are few and far between. You can obviously point to Lima Sweet if you want to. I mean, maybe you call a guy like Sammy Coates a bust. I don't know if he was necessarily a bust. But I'd say he's a bust. He was yeah. serviceable right. more than Lima Sweet was. That's for sure. That's not hard to. But do. for the most part, your Steelers pick a wide receiver. They end up contributing at some level in the NFL, whether that be stardom or whether that just be a solid guy who get you three balls in a game and you know pick up a first down, pick up a touchdown for you every once in a while. It's it's one of their best positions of drafting for Kevin Colbert and this regime for the past couple of decades. So everything seeming to check out as far as Pickens is concerned is very, very encouraging because I I, I will take any one of the three to step up to be a number one, mm-hmm. but you just need one of them to. And I think Pickens has just as much a chance as Claypool and Deontay. Well, this is... Uh... This is an interesting pick because I was about to say this is the highest draft capital the Steelers have used on a wide receiver only since Chase Claypool, right? The Steelers' bread and butter used to be kind of going after a Deontay Johnson or a Marcus Wheaton or someone in those mid-rounds, right? It wasn't always, oh, they're going to take a guy in the first or second round on a wide receiver. Usually their, their bread and butter is finding someone like a diamond in the rough that's not the case here with Claypool or Pickens. However, Pickens coming from arguably one of the best collegiate seasons or collegiate programs in an individual season out of Georgia, hard to kind of put Chase Claypool up against that, right? Chase Claypool coming from Notre Dame, obviously as an independent school, they they draw a tough schedule, but Pickens having the season he did with the team he did, I really think it speaks volumes to the Steelers usually aren't the kind of team to kind of go after that big school, big name kind of guy. And when they do it, I think they do it with a purpose. So 
again, you know, we have no idea who is going to be the number one target as a wide receiver. We always say that Pat Frymuth is likely going to be the number one target, the number one safety blanket. However, I do... I am inclined, based off of what we've heard these last three weeks and the pedigree he had coming out of Georgia, I, I am inclined to think that it could easily be George Pickens who kind of runs away with this. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes that feature guy in a couple of years, and not just this offense, but a star really around the league. Uh, one last thing I wanted to touch on, you know, a lot of people are obviously worried about how you replace Steph to it. Um, what is going to be the options there? Are they going to go outside and look at free agents? Are they going to promote from within the depth chart? Do they have enough depth to do that? That's obviously forefront on a lot of people's minds. But I don't know if we can really glean anything from that until we strap up some pads and start hitting because that position is just all about physicality, all about, you know, pushing other heavy dudes around and stopping running backs from reaching holes and, and you know, getting after the quarterback. So I don't know really if we could have gotten any more clarity other than obviously you know your top two guys are and Cam and, and Alu Alu. Mm-hmm. But as far as who that number three is going to be, if it's going to be a platoon job, if Wormley's going to be the guy, if Loudermilk's going to be the guy, you have heard a lot of things about Loudermilk uh, written about him and how his development looks good and he looks like he's beefed up a little bit. But just I just don't think we can really tell what's going to happen there until – we get to Vincent's, we strap on some pads, and we go to Seattle, or excuse me, Seattle comes here, plays that first preseason game. Then we'll start to finally be able to to figure that. Because you can see, you know, talent with quarterbacks, with running backs, with wide receivers when you're doing the gym class hero portion. Uh, you can see the athleticism on these defensive linemen, but I don't think you can really tell who's going to cut the mustard until it's actual football being played. No, I mean, you, you're not going to be able to, and that's... That's actually the problem here we have, Tom, in this state of purgatory for, what, the next month and a half month or so half, until yeah. training camp begins. We have one, two, three, four, five, six weeks to kind of just, like, twiddle our thumbs and just theorize and hypothesize. And and wonder if they'll go out and sign somebody during that window. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But, yeah, we're Six stuck. weeks is a long time it in is. the NFL. It is. It really is. And that, this will be, there will be other teams' mini camps that come up in next week and stuff, but once everything's done... You'll see more free agency pick up a little bit because there is that window now where they've gotten a good month almost of looking at their teams, GMs I mean, and they can kind of sit back and have meetings and be like, okay, we kind of have an idea of what the roster looks like. Who's out there that we can maybe add Mm -hmm. to this mix that we like? So I think that it's possible to see stuff like that happening Agreed. in these next coming weeks. That'll do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. Got a lot more minicamp stuff to talk about, though, on episodes to come, so make sure you're listening to that. We'll take a look at minicamps around the league, take a look at some important players uh, in those camps as well. But for Jacob Brecht, I'm Tom Opperman. We always appreciate you guys giving us a listen, and we'll talk to you on the next Steelers Standard. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.